The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Nathan Seam for the Blue Journal. In today's podcast, I will discuss the article, Sleep Disorder Breathing and Incident Heart Failure in Older Men, that's published in the March 1, 2016, American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, with Drs. Sogol Javahari and Najib Ayas. Dr. Javahari, the first author on the paper, will be joining the clinical staff at the Sleep Center of the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, and will be an instructor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Ayas is an associate editor for the Blue Journal and reviews all things sleep-related. He is an associate professor of medicine and staff in the Sleep Disorders Program at the University of British Columbia. Okay, I'd like to start the podcast with a question for Dr. Javahari. So just to start off, we, you know, we have a diverse group of listeners, and not everybody listening is a sleep physician. So before we get into some of the, the meat of the article, I'd like to start the podcast by clarifying some terms that we will discuss later for the listeners who would not be familiar with them. So could you please explain the difference between obstructive apneas, central apneas, and chain stokes breathing? Oh, certainly. Obstructive apneas are the cessation of breathing for at least 10 seconds despite respiratory effort due to generally relaxation of the upper airway muscles and tissues, whereas central apneas are the cessation of breathing for 10 seconds in the absence of respiratory effort. Central apneas are typically due to temporary decrease in neuromuscular output in response to changes in PCO2. And we define chain stokes breathing as a minimum of 10 minutes of crescendo-decrescendo breathing pattern, culminating in a nadir of central apneas. So then just to follow up, Dr. Javahari, are there some specific criteria for defining obstructive apneas versus central apneas in terms of duration and in terms of defining how, how severe they might be? The obstructive apnea hypopnea index, and I didn't define hypopneas, but hypopneas are a reduction in breathing, generally about 30% decrease in amplitude, coupled with either an arousal or a reduction in oxygen saturation of 3 or 4%. That index is classified clinically as none if it's less than 5, as mild if it's 5 to 15, as moderate if it falls between 15 to 30, and as severe if you have greater than 30 apneas and hypopneas per hour of sleep. Central sleep apnea, the central apnea index, does not have such a classification system. However, uh, both central and obstructive apneas have a similar duration in time at 10 seconds. Well, thank you for explaining that for us, Dr. Javahari. I'd like to now... Uh ask a question for Dr. Ayas. We're lucky to have you joining us on the podcast since we obviously have a, the unique perspective of an associate editor for the Blue Journal. And I was hoping you could provide our listeners with a, a little bit of a look behind the scenes. Obviously, you get many manuscripts submitted and have to make some tough choices. And I, and I wonder if you could tell us what, what made this study so compelling to accept it for publication to the Blue Journal. I think there were a few things that we, that both myself and the reviewers found interesting about the paper. I think the first issue is that the whole topic of sleep disorder breathing and heart failure is, I think, a very important one and definitely needs more uh, investigation. And I'm sure you're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the uh, podcast. 
And I think that especially given the results of the recent SURVE-HF trial that were published in New England Journal that really called into question the way that we should view central sleep apnea, at least in terms of treatment with positive airway pressure. The second issue that was interesting about this study was just the novelty of the findings. Before I had read this study, I usually considered chain stokes respiration essentially a symptom of heart failure in that I would have expected that in individuals who already have pre-existing fairly substantial heart failure to develop this form of breathing. What I thought was interesting about this paper was it seems that the sleep disorder breathing, especially the central sleep disorder breathing, actually predated a lot of the clinical manifestations of heart failure, which I think was important as well. The third issue with this paper that I think was very novel was just the use of the cohort. So the cohort was very well defined. It was a community-based cohort with a great follow-up and ascertainment of outcomes. Well, thank you for that, and it actually sets the stage for my next question as we talk about Dr. Javahiri's paper itself. So you analyzed the data from the osteoporotic fractures in men study. I was hoping you could tell us about this study cohort and specifically the study protocol. Sure. So Mr. Oss was a prospective multi-center observational study of community-dwelling older men designed to assess the determinants of fracture in older men, as well as how osteoporosis may be related to prostate disease. The study incorporated 5,995 men, greater than or equal to the age of 65, and they all underwent a comprehensive baseline exam. They were mailed comprehensive questionnaires every four months to ascertain incident falls, fractures, prostate cancer, and deaths. And after about four and a half years on average, they underwent a second visit. Between their first and second visit, uh, we conducted the sleep ancillary study for Mr. Off. Of the 5,995 men, 3,135 participated in the sleep ancillary study, and of those, 2,865 had complete data that could be included in our analysis. The sleep study consisted of a baseline sleep visit with questionnaires, anthropometric measurements, and an unattended home full overnight polysomnogram, as well as a minimum of five days of risk actigraphy, and subsequently we followed participants for an average of 7.3 years by postcard every four months to ascertain incident cardiovascular events. And our physician adjudicator would confirm those responses with hospital records and death certificates as much as possible. Thank you for explaining that, and I guess I will leave the listeners in suspense no longer. Could you please tell us what you found in in following those nearly 3,000 patients? Sure. After adjusting for a number of confounders and mediators, we found that a central apnea index greater than or equal to 5 and presence of chain stokes breathing, but not an obstructive apnea hypopnea index, were significant predictors of decompensated heart failure or incident heart failure. Additionally, the presence of chain stokes breathing was a stronger predictor than the central apnea index alone. So I just wanted to follow up on that because I found that those findings, I was quite surprised by them. I think Dr. Ayas alluded to a little earlier some of the things we, we think about when our sort of preconceived notions based on the existing data. So what were you, uh, were you surprised by your findings when, when the, the data came out? Certainly we had expected that obstructive apnea hypopnea index would be associated with incident heart failure or a decompensated heart failure. So that was surprising as well as the fact that, you know, chain stokes breathing was more, most significantly associated with incident heart failure and heart failure decompensation as compared to central apnea index alone. 
And prior work in the sleep heart health study had demonstrated a significant association between obstructive apnea hypopnea index and incident heart failure. So this was a novel finding. Thank you for that. And, and that's actually, that ties in well with, with my next question for, for Dr. Ayas. I guess the sleep heart health study, you know, was one of the, the significant studies in the past. And when I've always thought about the relationship between sleep apnea and heart failure, I thought that OSA was associated with a higher risk of developing heart failure. And central apneas with Jane Stokes breathing are caused by the presence of heart failure. And you typically see them in more uh, patients with more severe heart failure. So obviously this study is very interesting since it raises some fundamental questions about these associations that, that I just mentioned. So I'd be very interested in your interpretation of the study findings, Dr. Ayas. Yeah, no, I, uh, that's why we thought the study was quite interesting. And in fact, I actually felt similar to you based on the data from the sleep heart health study showing that there was an association between obstructive airway events and future heart failure. That was the direction of causation that, that I think most people would accept as well. And I think that from a physiologic sense, the link between obstructive sleep apnea exacerbating heart failure actually does make a lot of sense. With patients with obstructive sleep apnea, they're really trying to breathe hard against an obstructive glottis. This results in very uh, large negative swings of intrathoracic pressure, and you could argue and say that that would definitely cause substantial uh, hemodynamic changes that could predispose individuals with heart failure. In addition, the sympathetic discharge with obstructive apneas, you would think would also contribute to the progression of heart failure or perhaps even the pathogenesis of heart failure, and I think that that's the paradigm that I was working under uh, as well. What was interesting about this study is that this was almost the opposite. There wasn't really a large relationship between obstructive events, but there was a relationship in a prospective manner of central events being predictive of uh, heart failure symptoms. In terms of how I understand this or, or what the hypothesis is, I think that Matt Nofton really talked about this in great detail in his uh, editorial of the paper as well, and I would really recommend uh, anybody who's interested in this area to really read the uh, editorial as he is one of the experts in the field and uh, was very thoughtful in, in what he wrote. But I think that there's a couple of possibilities. It's certainly possible that uh, central sleep apnea may exacerbate heart failure or, or cause heart failure to be worse. You could argue and say that the irregularities of breathing and the central apneas may result in some hemodynamic changes or perhaps other physiologic changes that may uh, lead to exacerbations of heart failure. The other possibility, which I think is, is probably uh, more likely, although this is purely hypothetical, is that perhaps the chain-stokes respiration, the central apneas are a very early symptom of heart failure or early marker of heart failure and may actually predate overt uh, symptoms as well. What this would suggest is that perhaps if you see individuals with chain-stokes respiration or with central apneas on a polysonogram, should you follow them more, more closely for the development of heart failure or at the least perhaps get some diagnostic testing in order to assess what their cardiac function is as well. But I think that you know these, these studies do suggest there are other avenues of research in this very important area. My gut feeling is that there probably is uh, an impact of sleep disorder breathing on exacerbation of heart failure, and I think that this is an important area in terms of uh, therapy of heart failure management as well. In terms of why this study had different results compared to the ones in sleep heart health, I think is open to speculation. I think that the cohorts in general, and perhaps Dr. Javahari can comment on this as well, I think were very different in terms of the age and the gender of this cohort compared to the sleep heart health cohort. So perhaps 
you know, there's something about certain populations of individuals which may, you know, change the relationship between sleep disorder breathing and heart failure as well. Well, thank you, Dr. Yas, and that's a perfect segue for what I next wanted to ask, Dr. Javahari. Obviously, whenever a, a new study comes out and its findings differ with a, another prior study, the next logical question is whether there was something different about the, the cohort in the current study. I think Dr. Yas alluded to some differences in the osteoporotic fractures in men group versus the sleep heart health group. But could you comment, Dr. Javahari, about specific differences between the two cohorts, you know, regarding either the population of patients studied, the study protocol, or the way that apneas were defined that may explain any differences uh, in your two studies? Yes, there were a number of differences. To start with, the main analyses of the sleep heart health study used an apnea hypopnea index that included both central and obstructive events, whereas in Mr. Oss, we used an obstructive apnea hypopnea index and then the central apnea index. And given the younger age of the sleep heart health study, there was a lower prevalence of central apneas, which may have limited the ability to dissect those associations. And as, as we've alluded to, the younger age of the sleep heart health study, uh, their mean age, I believe, was less than 65 years, as compared to Mr. Oss, where our mean age was around 76 years old, may have modified this association. And there is prior literature to show some effect modification of age between obstructive sleep apnea and cardiovascular outcomes. And finally, sleep heart health study included both men and women, as obviously ours did not. Thank you for, for uh, clarifying that. And then, Dr. Ayas, I'd, I'd like to then follow up with you. You mentioned Dr. Nofton's editorial, and I thought his interpretation of the study was interesting and in, in that, you know, maybe we should, maybe change, change folks' breathing may be the first sign of heart failure before structural heart disease or heart failure symptoms are present. And maybe, as, as you suggested earlier, we should screen. I was wondering about two things. One, I mean, do you think that that's the way we go if we see a patient with chain Stokes breathing or a significant amount of central apnea? Should we be ordering echocardiograms in these patients? And secondly, the other part I think you alluded to earlier as well is the, the, the lack of finding of um, the association between the obstructive sleep apnea and the development of, of heart failure. I wonder, do you think that's a, maybe a sample size effect or um, is that something we need to question as well? Because as you said, pathophysiologically, it certainly makes sense that obstructive apneas uh, should be related to heart failure. Yeah, I, I think those are uh, very interesting questions and I don't think I have a firm answer for you at this point. But yeah, you know, I the way that I would interpret that study is that, and, and in my mind, the presence of chain stokes respiration or central sleep apnea on a polysomnogram at the very least would compel me to at least do a more thorough history and physical examination on the patient just to ensure that there aren't any overt symptoms of early heart failure or signs of early heart failure. And if there were, then I think getting more testing in terms of echocardiography or other cardiac studies, I think would definitely uh, be uh, indicated. Whether all patients with chain stokes respiration or central sleep apnea should be screened with echocardiography in the absence of symptoms and signs is a good question. I don't think we have the answer to that question based on this study 
as well as others. However, I think that I would have a low threshold for really investigating these patients more. I almost think of this as, as sort of a similar situation in terms of patients with REM sleep behavior disorder in that individual with REM sleep behavior disorder, we do have a low, that, that there's an increased risk of Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders in that disorder, and we do tend to have a very low threshold for sending those patients on for further evaluation. And I almost consider this the, the same thing as well, that in some ways maybe we need to find, you know, what the etiology is of the uh, central sleep apnea, and given that heart failure is, is likely one of the most common etiologies, I, I think that investigating for that would make a, a lot of sense. In terms of the relationship between obstructive sleep apnea, uh, as you pointed out from a physiologic mechanism, you would think that the link between obstructive sleep apnea would actually be greater than that of central sleep apnea. Even though the, the, the results of this study suggest that the obstructive apneas you know, may not be as much of an effect, I, I'm still a little bit loath to say that bad obstructive sleep apnea may not confer an increased risk of heart failure or, or at least exacerbate heart failure. And again, I'm, I'm going mostly by some of the other physiologic studies that have been done by uh, Doug Bradley and Matt Nofton in the past, as well as some of the epidemiologic data that was mentioned with sleep heart health studies. So I think that this study by itself would not necessarily indicate that there's no relationship between the two, and I think that I still would be worried about patients with heart failure and obstructive sleep apnea not perhaps being exacerbated by that disease as well. So I, I wanted actually to close the, the podcast talking about this area that I think is an area of keen interest in that the relationship between sleep disordered breathing and volume overloaded states. And, you know, Dr. Javahari, you've added to that body of literature with your very interesting paper. And I guess, you know, the, the final question is, is where do we go from here? There was also the, the trial that Dr. Ayas alluded to about in the New England Journal recently about adaptive servoventilation for central sleep apnea and systolic heart failure. There was another Blue Journal article by Doug Bradley's group about removing ultrafiltration and how that improved central and obstructive apneas in patients with sleep apnea who are on dialysis. So I think it's a very interesting time in the field, and I was wondering, you, I'm sure your group is planning to study further what you found, and I just wonder your comments in general about this, this aspect of sleep apneas and volume overload states. Well, I think a very revealing next step would be to conduct echocardiography on patients with so-called idiopathic central sleep apnea and chain-stokes breathing to determine whether they have asymptomatic left ventricular dysfunction, whether it's systolic or diastolic, and then follow that with a randomized trial to see if treatment of their central sleep apnea or chain-stokes breathing prevents progression of asymptomatic to symptomatic heart failure uh, in the active arm as compared to the control. I also think it would be important to replicate our findings in a more diverse cohort that, of course, includes women as well as men. Absolutely. And Dr. Ayas, similarly, are you aware of ongoing or upcoming studies or assessing this relationship between sleep disorder, breathing, and heart failure? And other than, obviously, I think it's uh, what Dr. Jafahari mentioned about, you know, doing screening echocardiograms in these patients and looking at that and, and outcomes. Any other thoughts about some specific holes in the knowledge base you would like to see addressed going forward? Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, I think it's a very interesting time in the uh, field. And I think that there have been a few studies that have really put what we thought in the, in another context. Uh, I think the one of the elephants in the room probably is the SERVE-HF trial that was published in New England Journal, 
where they randomized individuals uh, with heart failure and central sleep apnea to either a trial of adaptive servo ventilation or, or not. And basically what they found in that trial, as I think most people have heard, is that there was actually an increase in mortality, in cardiovascular mortality associated with the treatment of the apneas with the servo ventilation device. I think that for me personally, and I think from a lot of other individuals in the field, this was a very unexpected finding, as we felt that fixing the sleep apnea or at least improving the sleep apnea would actually improve outcomes and would definitely not be harmful in any way. And so that was very surprising to us. I think that there was a previous podcast with Doug Bradley talking about the results of the SERVE-HF trial and then the ongoing ADVENT trial as, as well that I, I found very interesting. But I do agree with him in that I don't think that uh, we have all the answers to this right now, and I think that we really need to do more studies in the field to just really try to figure out what the pathophysiology is of sleep disorder breathing and heart failure and to kind of better understand how sleep disorder breathing affects heart failure outcomes. And I think that if we can more personally target individuals with sleep disorder breathing, then I think that in the future, we'll be able to improve outcomes of these patients as well. In terms of the studies of fluid overload in patients with sleep apnea, again, I think that that was a very interesting study that was published in the Blue Journal, which I think that you also had a podcast on looking at the effect of fluid overload in terms of the pathogenesis of sleep apnea. And basically in that study, what they found was that in individuals who had um, renal failure, who obviously are in an overloaded state, if they could actually take some of the fluid off, it actually significantly improved their uh, sleep disorder breathing. What this really suggests is, again, an interaction between what's going on in terms of fluid overload and what's going on in terms of cardiovascular physiology, and then what's going on in terms of the physiology of their sleep disorder breathing, which I think is interesting uh, as well. So I'm really looking forward to more studies in this area, and I think it's a very important area to look at. And you know, and I hope that studies like the ADVENT study that Doug Bradley is doing will actually shed more light in terms of what to do in patients with sleep disorder breathing and heart failure as well. Whether we need to kind of look at other therapies other than positive airway pressure, I, I think would be something to think about as well. I think that as a sleep field, sometimes we get too fixated almost in terms of positive airway pressure. Should we be looking at things, you know, just simple things like oxygen or other pharmaceutical agents that may help sleep disorder breathing and may help improve heart failure as well, I think would be important to look at as well. In addition, I think that based on this study and others, it's clear that maybe, you know, sleep disorder breathing we shouldn't look at as a grab bag, that we really need to differentiate sort of obstructive versus central sleep apnea as they may have very different effects on the cardiovascular physiology and cardiovascular outcomes as well. Okay, so Dr. Chavaharia, I was wondering if, if you knew of any studies coming down the pike in terms of answering some of the, the questions that remain that we've discussed today. So the multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis, which has already published a lot of work, it's a prospective cohort study from a diverse group of patients from five different centers. It looks at subclinical markers of cardiovascular disease, and they conducted cardiac MRIs on their patients at their baseline exam, and at exam five, they repeated cardiac MRI, and at that time, they also conducted a sleep exam with a full polysomnogram. And they're now adjudicating outcomes for cardiovascular events. So it'll be very interesting to see whether those patients who had no cardiac disease by MRI at the time of their sleep exam, but did have obstructive sleep apnea and or central sleep apnea with chain Stokes breathing, develop subsequent clinically overt heart failure. 
And currently, there is a paper published in Sleep by my group with Dr. Redline demonstrating cross-sectional association between sleep apnea and adverse cardiac structural changes. But when the prospective results become available, that will be telling as well. Thanks for a great discussion on an intriguing paper. We're left with many questions going forward. What type of sleep disorder breathing puts patients at risk for heart failure? What is the proper treatment for sleep disorder breathing and heart failure? And are the different findings in Mr. Oss related to an older cohort of patients compared to prior studies? Stay tuned as ongoing trials will hopefully provide us some answers to these and other questions. The homepage for this podcast on ATSJournals.org will provide a link to the article and accompanying editorial from Dr. Matthew Nofton, as well as a link to a prior podcast that was alluded to in this discussion. And please don't forget to subscribe to Article Discussion Podcasts from the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine on iTunes. I'm Nitin Seem for the Blue Journal.